Good morning, Awaken, and welcome to church. Uh, and I, I hope you've been enjoying the weather. It has been beautiful, B-E-A-utiful, to quote my favorite actor, Jim Carrey. Um, but welcome to you. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Uh, before we get going, we have a couple of things we want to let you know about related to some things in the life of our community so you can keep up to speed and on top of things. Uh, the first of which is there is no Good Morning Awaken today. That would be uh, Labor Day weekend. So if you're planning on tuning into that after you watch the message, uh, that's not happening. So go be free, little birds. Fly away. Uh, I hope the weather's nice when that day actually comes. Uh, the second thing is, in your inboxes, as we speak, there should be the whole list of all the plans and all the things we've been working on as a staff. So that includes book studies led by staff, that includes youth, it includes kids stuff, it includes the new learning labs that are coming in October and November, uh, some things Jane is doing with spiritual formation, so the whole gamut of things. We've been working hard on that, so um, take a look at that and keep an eye on that. That should drive you to the website at all times, so all the information, most accurate data will be there, and want to encourage you to tune in to the things that you can and connect in the ways that you can. Um, coming up this week, uh, on Thursday, the 10th of September, there will be another opportunity for you to come and use the space. Uh, it will be open from 4 to 7 p.m., and the goal, the purpose of that is really just for prayer and meditation, contemplation. Uh, we did this first two weeks ago, and it was great. Uh, it was really, really lovely. If you, ever, if you have any wonder about whether, uh, like, in terms of safety and COVID and that kind of thing, we've taken every precaution possible. Uh, we've thought of you and will care for you when you come, and so uh, I think you can be free to do that. Um, if you want to bring kids, uh, that was a question that came up, and we just said, you know what, bring your kids. Um, think about them being here in the space and plan for that, um, books or things to color or whatever. But if there are sounds of little kids among us, um, our church has always been great about that, and we welcome them. So if you've got kids and you want to come, bring them along. Uh, and with that, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Mel. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to hear from Mandy. We've got our last Lost in Translation sermon today, so... Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. God, we thank you for this day and the gift that it is. Um, I'm grateful to be together with my friends, and I pray that uh, by your Spirit over time and through media and technology that you would uh, be present to each of us right here in this moment, and um, that we would be reminded that you are good, that we are loved, and that we are not alone, I pray. In the strong name of Christ, amen. Let's sing together. Amen. Thank you, Micah. Um, I'm going to start off today um, with a song that we have sung in the past when we feel like it's a moment to uh, lament on the suffering of those around us and to kind of call that out and to even call on God in the name of those who are suffering and who are oppressed. And it feels like that moment again for us. So I just wanted to invite us into that space this morning um, as you're singing along there at home to open up your heart again and keep it soft um, to the things that uh, the ones who are uh, poor, who are suffering violence and marginalization and oppression um, are experiencing in our world today. So if you would sing along with us, rise up.
that are listening. My name is Mandy. I'm the Kids Community Director. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I can say that our family is definitely feeling the back-to-school jitters. So as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about today, that's all that kept spinning is all the different things families are holding. Um, And I got this book in perfect timing this week, which actually ties in with what we talked about last week. And so I'm just going to read this. My message is really simple today. And it's, um, I just hope it'll be encouraging to our kids and our families and our, all that are starting new things and new transitions for this fall. So this book is called Who Sang the First Song by Ellie Holcomb, and it's illustrated by Kayla Heron. And I wish you could see the illustrations better from where you are. They are absolutely beautiful. So we'll start it. Who sang the first song? Who hummed the first tune? Was it the wind blowing past the silvery moon? Were the stars making noise as they sparkled at night? Did the sun sing a song as it colored the sky? Did the waves make a song as they crashed to the shore? Or was it the whales? Or the lion's first roar? Did the first flowers hum as they burst into bloom? Or was the first song when the thunder went boom? Maybe elephants running loud over the ground? Or maybe the birds made the first singing sound? All these guesses we've made are quite good, but they're wrong. It was God, our maker, who sang the first song. When God made the earth, he decided to sing, and he wrote his song into everything. God's song says, you're good, you are wonderfully made, and I'll never stop loving you all of your days. So I want you to sing with your life and with your voice, for I created the earth to make a joyful noise. So now we know who sang the first song. God who made us knew all along that every heart and everything was born with a song it was made to sing. This book reminds me of what we talked about last week from Psalm 139, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And when I read this, like I was telling you, I thought about what it is that all of us need to remember as we start this new, this new transition, the fall. It can be so easy to want to be like someone else or to try to be someone that you're not, to try to impress your friends at school. But instead, I want you to remember that God made you just how he wanted you in his image. And remember how much he cares about us? 
We talked about that last week. He's always with us, and he's always cheering for us. He wants us to be our best selves. We get to be a reflection of him to those around us. To treat others as Jesus would treat others. That's hard to do when we're not being ourselves. Something I like to tell my kids before they head off to school each day is to be bold, be kind, and to be brave. And in that, I want you guys and my kids and all the families to remember who God made you to be and remember that you're his child who loves you more than we can ever understand. So be bold, be brave, be kind, and help those around you who need a little extra boldness, braveness, or kindness. As I've been thinking about all our families at Awaken and praying for all of you, I actually started to write out a prayer, and I thought I'd share that with you guys today. I'm just going to read this prayer with all of you. It's for our kids, parents, teachers, and then after after the prayer, we'll sing our blessing song. But I just want you to um, pray with me however you want to do that. I'm going to read this, and just know that I am continuing to pray this um, in the next few weeks. So, dear Lord, we pray for the many transitions that are happening this week and this month. Help us to see the good in each day. We were created in your image to do good and great things. May each new day bring reason to rejoice and praise you. For the students who are returning to school, may you bring peace and protection over their minds and bodies. Keep each family healthy and protected from the virus. Surround them with your presence and the joy that comes with being back at school with teachers and friends. May that joy and excitement not be lost in the midst of new policies, masks, social distancing, and other changes necessary for safety. And for the students who are staying home to learn virtually, God, may they have the resources that they need and the help from parents who are also balancing work, younger kids, schedules. Give each family extra patience as they learn how to work and learn together. May we all show extra kindness within our homes. For the families who continue to homeschool or have just begun to homeschool, may you bring the wisdom and resources that are needed to equip parents as well as nurture each child's learning. God, we ask that you provide a sense of belonging and excitement for all students who are learning at home. For our little ones who aren't quite in school yet, who may be doing preschool at home or heading off to daycare, Lord, we pray that the social skills and development of each child would continue to be fostered and that each little heart would sense your presence and love for them and that the love of their parents or caregiver would be seen and felt. Help them to feel safe and entertained and bring extra doses of patience, understanding, and curiosity. For those in our community who are headed back to school as teachers or support staff, whether in person or virtually, God, give them direction, give them fresh ideas, give them protection from the virus, encouragement, energy, and all that they need to do the best that they can in the circumstances that are present within their school. Help teachers to navigate the unknown with open hands as each day changes and holds its own joys and trials. Give our teachers the wisdom and continued passion to impact and to grow our next generation and remind them that they are needed, appreciated, and loved. And for our parents, Lord, bring all things needed for our parents to succeed and come away from this feeling stronger and more connected to their kids. God, you know our day-to-day, you know our kids, and you know what we need, and and you know what we need from you, Lord. We trust that you will provide. Whether we are home teaching, balancing work with kids at home, managing babies and preschoolers, acclimating to new school schedules. The scenarios right now are extensive between what all of us are holding. Lord, give us strength, give us energy, give us community, and show us what it looks like to love others well, even when all we desire is for someone to love us well. Give us ideas to strengthen our relationships. Show us how to equip our kids to be bold, to be brave, and to be kind. May the leaders of our schools gain wisdom and feel energized to inspire and lead their staff well. May the needs of families and students in our community and surrounding neighborhoods be seen, and we pray for your provision to meet those needs. Show us how to help and who needs help. God, give us all hope and endurance this fall to continue to live out each day and trust in you. May we see you and see others. Thank you for walking alongside of us, and thank you for your amazing love. We lift up our community to you to hold it and care for it while we're apart. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mandy. Let's sing this song over our kids. Mm -hmm. 
Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there. And if you can, I would invite you to stand for the reading of the word. The writer says this, To man belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Pray with me. God, this morning as we turn to uh, your word and a time to listen and study and consider what it says, I pray that your spirit would guide us, that you would uh, take the words of the preacher and do more with them than I could ever do. In the strong name of Christ and by the power of the spirit, amen, amen, and amen. So today we're wrapping up our series, Lost in Translation. If you're new around Awaken, we do this series in the summer. And um, the goal really is to find the most bizarre, the most difficult, the most hard to understand or translate passages that we can find and really sort of dig into them. In this case, passages that maybe are commonly misunderstood. Um, last summer, we were in the words of Jesus as sort of our, uh, our text to choose from. And this summer, we chose to be in the wisdom literature of the uh, essentially the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. Um, and so we've been in... Uh, First and Second Chronicles, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. We talked about Jenna, talked about Job, uh, the Psalms, and today our first proverb. Now, uh, as we begin, I'd love for you to re- try to remember high school. Um, for some of you, that may be uh, a welcome task. Others, not so much. But either way, if you remember taking tests in high school, there was this thing called the curve. And some teachers would grade on a curve, which basically meant that if you had 30 kids in a classroom and the highest score was 89, that an A-plus began at 89 and grades were given out subsequently from that number. Um, instead of, you know, uh, whatever anybody does, A is 100% and and following down the line. So I liked the curve because my grades typically fell kind of in the average. And so when the average or when the best score wasn't 100, it benefited me quite, quite greatly. What I didn't like were the outliers. The one kid in my class that would get 99 or out of 100 or worse, like 100 out of 100. So then the grades A's began with perfect, which doesn't help people like me. Um, but it, essentially, uh, it was the curve crashers, we called them, that kind of ruined it for everybody else. Uh, now, maybe you were a curve crasher, and you know what? Good for you. Like, I'm glad. I hope my kid is a curve crasher. I just never was a curve crasher, so I didn't have the greatest, um, you know, sentiments towards them. I've grown to love you because you're leading our countries and our, our businesses and churches and things like that. So, great, good, awesome. But I wonder if this story about my educational experience and curve crashing doesn't give us a little bit of light on Proverbs, and especially verse 3 of the verses that we read. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Uh, I read a proverb like this, maybe you do as well, and life and the events of our life seem to be the curve crashers that ruin these verses and ones like them. Like, I committed my plans to the Lord for this business or this marriage or this new adventure, and it was a total disaster. It failed miserably. And if you grew up in a church or a culture like I did, like the pastor or the preacher or the teacher or the Sunday school teacher or even your parents, they loved these verses, you know, because they were like, well, Micah, commit your plans to the Lord and they will succeed. It was very much an if this, then that kind of mentality, as if like God were some giant cosmic vending machine, and if you needed a Snickers, you just needed 50 cents to put in the machine, and you would get your Snickers, right? So this week, I decided to phone a friend, 
in honor of Regis Philbin. And I asked you all, because I was wondering, like, am I the only one that thinks like that? Like, that um, this proverb is sort of, there's, there's like this curve crasher kind of thing. That, like, the, the events of my life are the curve crasher for the, a proverb like this. And many others like it that, that maybe you've heard over the course of time. So I asked Facebook, I said, hey, are there any, like, if this, then that kind of statements that you were taught or that you were told in life, biblically or, un- or you know, outside of the Bible, that you found to be maybe not true in all circumstances, or maybe your life has proven to be the curve crasher for that particular piece of proverb or wisdom. And you all answered with vigor. <laughs> um, so I, I, my, my suspicion was, 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 was right. Uh, if you save yourself for marriage, then sex in marriage will be great. If this, then that. Um, not always true. Uh, if you eat healthy, you won't get cancer. If you are the perfect wife, your husband will never cheat. If you uh, pray, then insert whatever thing you want to go away. If you pray, then that thing will get better. And then the added bonus of if it doesn't get better, then you don't have enough faith, right? That one's, you know, a certain kind of crazy. Uh, If you do or don't do X, then you will go to hell. And isn't it fascinating that X always seem to be more fun? (laughs) Uh, If a girl is immodest, then she will cause a boy or a man to sin. Uh, if, you, if you work hard, then you can achieve anything you want. You can be anything you want. Meritocracy. Um, so for many of us, we're told these things, but then the events of our lives or the events of other people's lives seem to be these curve-crashing uh, moments that ruin the apparent truth or promise that this Bible verse or the stories that they're based in offer. So this morning, I want to ask, like, what do we do with a proverb like this? Commit your plans to the Lord, and they will succeed. And other proverbs like it. Um, you, you, you can't argue that there isn't that, like, uh, feel and flow when you read Proverbs. It is very much a cause and effect kind of thing where it's like, if you do this, then this will happen. There are good and righteous people, and they're rewarded. They're, and there are evil and, and unrighteous people, and they will be punished. And there's no point in arguing that that's not in the book, because it is. But I think we all know from our own experience and our own lives that, like, it's just not always that simple. Because some of us did commit our marriages to the Lord, and they still ended in divorce. Some of us did commit our business plans and these endeavors to God, and they, they, they went down in flames. Some of us exercised and ate really well, and we still got sick, or our loved ones got sick, and maybe even died. What makes things even more bizarre is that you have psalms where the psalmist seems to be praying, God, why are the wicked prospering? And why are the righteous failing and, 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 and flailing? So you have the claims of the Proverbs, commit your plans to the Lord and they will succeed. And then you have the psalmist saying, why are all the unrighteous like living it up and seem to be prospering and making a way and all the righteous people seem to be failing and having the hardest of times? Then there's the whole book of Job, which is basically your proverb pretty much sucks. (laughs) Because the righteous Job suffers and loses his family and has sores on his body and loses all uh, all of his income and all of his resources. So how is that? Commit your plans to the Lord and they will succeed. Or the book of Ecclesiastes, which kind of asks some difficult questions of this. So how do we hold Proverbs and its apparent if this, then that with Job and Ecclesiastes and Psalms, which seem to be making opposite claims? And how do we, the fact that they're all in the same Bible, they're all in the same subdivision of the Bible, the wisdom literature of the Hebrew Bible. So this morning, three questions that I want to sort of guide our exploration. Number one, what are the Proverbs and how do we read them? Like, are we setting ourselves up to fail when we read them with an if this, then that kind of like claim or promise making, you know, theology? So how do we read the Proverbs? Um, What are they? Second, what is this proverb saying? Like, let's dig into this one in particular. If you've been around long enough, you know that there's some, there's some nuggets here that we're going to try to uncover and you'll be like, oh, that's interesting. And then lastly, what kind of people do we need to become in order to live from the wisdom that Proverbs is offering? So first, what are the Proverbs and how do we read them? A little bit about the structure of the book. This book is 31 chapters. We are in verse or chapter 16. Not only is it the center of the book in terms of like the number of chapters in it, but many would argue that the theology, the Proverbs in this chapter sort of are the hinge. They hold, they, they sort of um, wrap up and hold all that came before it and they sort of set the tone and table for all that will come after it. So it's a very important chapter. Um, the book opens with the personification of wisdom as a woman, which is fitting, isn't it? 
I mean, if the book opened with wisdom calls aloud in the street, he raises his voice in the public squares, in the gateways, he makes his speech, I think we'd all be a little more suspect. But there's an allure, there's a desirous nature to the woman of wisdom. And that has nothing to do with like attraction or sexuality, but it's like, it's more believable, you know, it's plausible, the woman of wisdom. So there's the woman of wisdom, she speaks like very specifically in chapter 8 about um, being there during the moments of creation. So the woman of wisdom is somehow connected to the moments that creation began in Genesis 1. Then there's like the loose and strange woman that, uh, who's the foil to the woman of wisdom. Chapter 5 is spent urging uh, the young men to stay away from her in a very parental fashion. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight. Like you can hear a parent saying, you would do well to listen to my words right now. I think I've actually said that. And then there's the fool or the folly to wisdom that uh, sort of opposes wisdom and her recommendations. And then at the end of the book, it sort of culminates in the Proverbs 31 woman. Now, I don't know if you had that t-shirt or not, like becoming a Proverbs 31 woman. Maybe you did. I don't know. Um, Or maybe you said, I want to marry a Proverbs 31 kind of woman. Um, That's fine. Maybe it is about a woman, but many would argue that it's actually a sort of tribute to this personification of wisdom that we've been talking about and talking with throughout the book of Proverbs. Um, As it relates to who, who wrote it, it's attributed to Solomon As one might expect, he was, after all, the king who asked for wisdom. He was sought out in the ancient world for his wisdom. But if you dig a little bit deeper and you study a little more, you might come to find that many would many believe that it was written far later for it to be Solomon, and it was. But uh, it was attributed to Solomon, which is very common in the ancient world. Even the book itself offers a couple of other authors of the song, uh, the Proverbs, along the way. So, um, either way, it's the wisdom of Solomon. In that's the title of the book. Um, Contrary to much of the Old Testament, this book is relatively unconcerned with Israelite worship. Like Torah and the prophets, they are very wrapped up and concerned about the cultic and religious life of Israel. Whereas the book of Proverbs doesn't offer much about temple talk or ceremonies or sacrifice. It doesn't really offer any kind of doctrinal or systematic theologies. It's more general and concerned with wisdom and a life well lived. So that's a little bit about the structure of the book. The second question is, how do we read this book? Um, how do we avoid the temptations to make doctrine out of it or get hung up on uh, when the curve-crashing moments of our lives prove the proverb false? So here's just a couple of things that I have found to be helpful when we think about Proverbs and like, how do we read these things and read them well? First, Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It is not promises that will come true if you do what it says. I'm going to say that again. Proverbs is a book filled with wisdom. It is not meant to be a book read as promises that will come true if you apply what is said or if you do what is said. Um, The very nature of the literary style itself, the genre, does not intend you to build systematic theologies or to make sort of claim promises that will be true if you do what it says. It's not tit-for-tat kind of ironclad, if this, then that. And you might think I'm crazy because that's what it says. If you do this, then that will happen. But I want to suggest that like how we read it from a modern, western, factual, uh, um, sort of legal, fixated on facts fashion isn't necessarily the the most helpful when it comes to Proverbs. I think uh, maybe a better way to think about it would be like nine times out of ten, this is how it's going to go down. Or um, if you play the long game in life, you're going to come out ahead if you play by these rules. Um, Or maybe like, uh, more often than not, the scales are going to tip this way than that. Uh, There's a really good chance that if you do this long enough or head down this path too many times, it's not going to end well. Essentially saying like, generally, aside from these curve-crashing moments of our lives and people that we know, these things that are being said are true and wise. And so you would do well to listen to them and employ them in your life. So it's about wisdom. It's not about systematic theology or promises or facts. It's a collection of wisdom. The other thing I'll say is that there are as many warnings in the book of Proverbs as there are statements about wisdom you should live by. Uh, I grew up with four brothers. I've, I've said this before. And to say that we were rambunctious would be the understatement of the century. You can ask my mom. She's a part of the church. She'll tell you. But as kids, we spent a lot of time at my grandparents' houses, both of them, on both sides of my, my mom's side and my dad's side. 
And Phyllis and Jeannie could not have been two more different people. Like, they just marched to the beat of two very different drums, which isn't a statement of judgment on either of them. It's just a statement of fact. Jeannie's house was, uh, I remember it to be a place where there were all kinds of things you couldn't touch. Um, everything was in its place. Everything was pristine. It was always vacuumed. It was always clean. Um, even, like, there were, there were all these, like, Japanese heirlooms and artifacts. My grandpa spent time in the military, served in World War II. They were stationed in Japan, so they brought all these things home, including the candy dish, the M&M dish, which was like this fine piece of Japanese, you know, porcelain that we broke. No, no surprise to anybody. I think one of my brothers has it now that they're, they're gone, but it's, we broke it. There was like this little geisha doll in a glass display case in the corner. It's like, you're just asking for disaster. But I remember this one phrase that they would always say or often say to us, and it went something like this. Don't wrestle on the Davenport or you're liable to break something or hurt your brother. Let me break that down for you. Don't wrestle, don't wrestle, don't roughhouse. On the Davenport, evidently. Um, the older generation's called the couch the Davenport. I still don't know why. But, or you're liable to break something or hurt your brother. Now, my grandma never said, if you wrestle on the couch, you will break something. But rather, the tone was like, if you do this, there's a really good chance it's going to end poorly. And be warned. So now that you know, you will be responsible for your actions and choices. I want to suggest this is really, this is, this is what the book of Proverbs is like. The writer is reminding the reader, if you go down this path, there's a good chance it will end in this fashion. And now that you know, you are responsible for your choices and your actions, so be warned. So to read the Proverbs well is not to, is, is not to make it into something it was never meant to be. To read it well is to, to recognize it as well-earned wisdom over the course of time on what it means to be human and to live well with oneself and God and neighbor, not as like ironclad you know, facts and promises that if I only apply, they will guarantee and ensure my success. That will set you up for failure in the Proverbs. Rather, it's a treasure trove of wisdom and warnings on life and what it means to live with God. Now, what does this proverb actually say? Um, I'm going to, uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll be able to figure this out um, in terms of editing, but on the screen behind me, uh, or on the screen that you are now seeing, there will be uh, these verses, and I've basically taken the time to try to find the most wooden and literal, like, Hebrew to English translation, so that you can see um, there'll be the word that I want to look at, and then behind that, there'll be, like, all of the semantic possibilities, so you can see the range of meanings and what the, auth the translators have to choose from when they're trying to translate it. In fact, I just found this today. I read from an old NIV version of Proverbs chapter 16, and even in a newer NIV version, verse 3 is translated very differently. So when we get there, you'll see uh, why this matters. But let's just start with the first one. Um, it reads this way. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So here are a few words. Preparations, the word marak. It's an arrangement, a plan, a preparation. So the preparations of the heart, which doesn't just mean the beating thing in your chest, but the inner man, the mind, the will, the sort of seat of understanding, the very essence of who you are. So the plans, the arrangements, the plans of the very essence of, the, uh, of who you are, they belong to you. That's a gift, and you get to do that. You get to make plans. You get to think critically. You have intention and will and a mind and intellect and, and vocabulary, and you can use those things to make plans. But the answer, the root for that word is ana, it's to answer, respond, or testify, like the final word of the tongue is from the Lord. What are we saying? We humans, we've been given a heart and a mind, and with that, uh, inner self is like the seat of understanding, the very essence of who we are. And we make plans, we prepare, we dream, we hope for the highest of goals, we seek to arrange our lives in a way that brings about the most joy and the most possibility. And we should. The writer isn't saying you shouldn't do that. It's not steering us away from that. But rather, to hold those thoughts, those words, those plans, those preparations with a certain kind of posture. A posture that recognizes that the final word is not mine to speak. A posture that recognizes my place in the grand scheme of things as the created and not the creator. Verse 2 goes on, All the ways of humans are pure in their own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Two important things to note in this verse, how we see ourselves and think about ourselves, but then our intention and the spirit that's behind what we can see or not see. 
The first word to look at there is pure. It means um, to be pure, to be bright, to be clean. So all the ways of human, they're pure, they're bright, they're clean. And in, in their own eyes, which in our own perspective, in our own, our, our own eyes, yes, but that, that word is bigger than that. It's the physical eye, but it's also showing like mental and spiritual faculties. So all the ways of humans, they're pure in our eyes. But the Lord weighs. The word weigh there is to regulate, measure, estimate, ponder, balance, make even, level, be equal, be weighed out, to test to prove. So the Lord weighs, tests, proves, equals the Spirit. That's the word ruach, which shows up in Genesis chapter 1, when the Spirit of the Lord, the breath, wind, Spirit. So all of the ways of humans are pure. What's being said here? In general, I think it's fair to say that most humans think highly of themselves. Like, in general, in our own eyes, the things that we do, the choices that we make, the ways that we show up in the world, we think they're right. We think they're the best ways to show up. Or we'd get a different opinion, right? In general, I think we do that. We think highly of ourselves. But be careful, the, the proverb writer says, don't trust solely on the, your estimation of yourself in your actions, but rather trust and know that the Lord and the Lord alone has the accurate read on the scales to weigh, test, and prove not only our actions, but the spirit and intention behind our actions. Now, specifically our verse, verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Look at the, look at the, the Hebrew in this one. It, it reads, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Even the second version of the NIV realized that your plans will succeed might not be the best translation and they've changed it. So, galal, the word commit means to roll, roll down or roll towards, roll together your works, your deeds, your actions. So commit, roll down your works, your deeds, your actions to the Lord and your thoughts, your device, your plan, your purpose, your invention will be established, will be firm, stable, established. So take your works, take your deeds, take your actions and and roll them to the Lord, entrust them to their care. And your thoughts and your plans and your purposes, your inventions will be firm and stable and established. Why? Because they are in the hands of the divine. Will they come to pass? Maybe, maybe not. This isn't an automatic ironclad cause and effect promise that your plans will succeed, but rather a way in which to be uh, uh, honest and to plan, to prepare and to have action and intention in the world, but to do so in a way that entrusts them to God. This is not a promise given for success, but a wise and proven posture to be rooted in relationship with God as you live in the world. So that's a little bit about the verses that we read. Now, I want to close with this question. What kind of, uh, and it's a spiritual direction question. Um, if this is what the, the Proverbs say, like make your plans and your in, in thoughts in your heart and your mind, this is what you were made to do, but recognize it's the word of the Lord that has the final say. To hold our estimations of ourselves with humility, recognizing our inability to see clearly at all times or to weigh precisely Uh, knowing and trusting that God can and does that work. And then roll up your work, your deeds, your actions into the care of God. And as we do, our plans and purposes will be firm and stable and established. What kind of person, what kind of people do we need to be in order to live into and from this wisdom that the Proverbs are offering? I want to suggest we need to be people of confidence and also submission. Listen, you, you are amazing You are splendid. When you stop and consider, you are made in the image of the divine with intellect and a mind and capacity to form words and make plans and to hope and to dream. So be confident in the gift that you are. Trust in that God-given gift and capacity to hope and dream and dare to be great. And submit yourself as the created to the creator who holds the power and authority to speak the final word on any matter. This is a person of wisdom who lives a daring and dependent life. To become people who are confident in who God has made us to be, but also who submit to the fact that I don't always see it clearly and I don't always have the final word on any matter or any one. So lest I be the judge and assume the seat that I dare not sit in. Second, I would invite us to become a person of character whose motives are pure and, see this is is always, Proverbs are kind of both and, and always be open to instruction and correction. I want to say strive to become a person of character. 
Strive to be a person of integrity where your insides match your outsides. Strive to be a person whose motives can be trusted, where there are no shadows. Like, lean into that and and strive to be that kind of person. And know that you don't, I don't always see and weigh and measure ourselves or myself as accurately as I can, nor do you. So be open to those around you who know and love you, who, who may offer correction and input. Be open to the Spirit of God and the still, small leadings and promptings. Give God permission to turn on the lights when God deems it so necessary to turn on the lights. I've found in my life that God typically doesn't do anything I don't invite God to do or that I'm not willing for God to do. God doesn't impose God's self on me. So invite God to turn on the lights when it might be necessary. Last, I would say, what kinds of people do we need to be to live from this wisdom? People who learn to trust in the character of God revealed in Jesus. We can roll up our very lives into God. We can roll up our hopes and our dreams, our vocations and our actions into the presence of and into the care of the Trinitarian love that is God. And we can entrust these things to them. Why? Because we know the character and the heart of this God. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact representation, the icon of the divine. So we know what God is like because we know who Jesus is. Do you want to live a life well? Do you want to know what it means to be human and to live in and from the place you were made for and from? Proverbs contains the wisdom necessary for that kind of life. Are there curve-crashing moments when a person still dies after you pray for them? Yeah, there are. Are there curve-crashing moments when your marriage falls apart after you committed it to the Lord? There, will, there are. And anybody who tells you that there won't be is lying to you or trying to sell you something. And I'm just not going to do that. Those things aren't proof that the wisdom of Proverbs are not worthy of your consideration. They're proof that there are free moral agents in the world running around doing all kinds of things, including you and me. And that we may not, we don't always see it all or perceive it all or understand it all. But there is a stable and firm foundation of eternal love waiting to embrace you and remind you that you are not alone in the world. Greater is he, Christ, who is in you than he, the enemy that is in the world. This is what Paul says. That we need not fear because love has overcome death and darkness and any uncertainty and that love is named Jesus. So my friends, this morning... The Proverbs. Not facts and promises, not a formula to ensure your success, but rather a treasure of wisdom to live a life well, connected to God and to yourself and to the world around us. So I would encourage you to listen, as the woman of wisdom says in chapter one, listen, 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 my sons and daughters, to the wisdom that I'm offering so that you may live and live well. Pray with me. God, in uh, these next few moments of silence, I pray that your wisdom would come to us, that this woman of wisdom, as Proverbs paints the picture of, would draw near to us and offer whatever we may need in this moment. I pray that that we would surrender and maybe let go of our proclivity, our desires, our um, common uh, relationship to Proverbs where we think, if I just do this, then I'll be successful. Then these things will happen. And I pray that we would understand and come to know the wisdom that the Proverbs offer, but also that we would come to trust in the character of you, that you are good and that you love us and that you have revealed yourself to us in Jesus and that we we need not wonder what kind of God it is that we're dealing with and can we trust you and are you good? Will your way lead to life? We know the answer to those questions if Jesus was who he said he was. So, Holy Spirit, come speak to us now, I pray.
before we make our way to the table and to communion, um, Mel's going to lead us in this last song, uh, which I think is an appropriate prayer um, for a group of people who've just studied the Proverbs. So um, let's sing this together. that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. And whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is my blood shed for you, a new covenant. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so as we come to the table, it's important to remember that this table is not the church's, it is the Lord's. It's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith or you who have little faith, you who have been here often, or you who have been here, haven't been here for a long time, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come not because I invite you, or because the church invites you, but because the, the Christ invites you to come and be fed and known.
So as you take the bread, wherever you are and with whoever you are with, I'd invite you to hear these words. The body of Christ is broken for you. Take and eat, my friend. And as you take the cup, I'd invite you to hear these words. The blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. My friends, those who call themselves awakeners, those who are just finding awaken, uh, it's my hope and my prayer that the deep and rich wisdom of the Proverbs would be yours. Um, you, if, you, if you've been around here long enough, you know that I'm not going to tell you something that I don't believe is true. And I'm not going to tell you that if you just do these things, then all, everything will be fine, or you'll be successful, or your plans will succeed. But I will say that there is a God who has been made known to us in Jesus, who is trustworthy, whom we can take all of our, our very selves, our, our plans, our hopes, our dreams, and entrust to, that we can be confident in, in the, the gift that we are and the strength and the passion that has been placed within us by the divine. And we can live from that with a sobriety knowing that sometimes I miss it and I don't always see it. And my intentions are not always pure. But the Lord sees me. The Lord knows. So you can entrust yourself to this God. And I hope that you do. I hope that your life becomes a testimony to this intimate desire and intimate trust, intimate walk with the divine. And there's a really good chance that as you do that over and over again, that your life will bear fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that will bless, fruit that will give nourishment to those around you and to the world that we live in. That's what I hope. So, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace, my friends. See you next week. Facebook.com backslash awakening community. Or on Twitter 